This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. One of my favorite songs of yesteryear is one that was often sung on Sunday evenings in Gospel Hour in our churches across America. It went like this. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and time shall be no more. When the morning breaks eternal, bright and fair. When the saints of Christ are gathered over on the other shore. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. One of the things that I've always liked to do is to take the words, the last words from that song, when I'm speaking to a group of people, and put it in the form of a question. When the roll is called up yonder, Will you be there? You see, when we talk about biblical prophecy, when we're talking about things regarding the end of the age, the end times, whatever term you want to use to describe these last days, people always want to focus on the things that they can't know or that are uncertain to know or over which there are many different viewpoints and opinions. The thing that they don't want to focus on is what can be known absolutely and what God will require of us in response. So as we talk today with our new special friend, uh, Barry Stagner from Southern California, he's enduring the first elements of the uh, end times, perhaps uh, halfway through the tribulation, already there in California with the godlessness that is taking place there. But he's joining us here today to talk about his new book, The Time of the Signs. Now, you may know that in Matthew chapter 24, it talks. Jesus talked about the signs of the times. And normally we hear that language, that phraseology used. But our guest today has turned the tables on us with regard to that phraseology and says, no, we're going to look at the time of the signs. So today on Viewpoint, we are going to look at the time of the signs. And the question before you and before me and all of us today is, are we living in the time of the signs? Barry, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you, Chuck. Great to be with you. You know what I think, Barry? I think uh, you're interested in this subject because uh, Jesus said there in the Olivet Discourse, Matthew chapter 24, he that endures to the end shall be saved, and you have much to endure there in California, right? Well, I think we invented it here, uh, things to endure. So, yeah, we we live in a rather interesting uh, season, even here in California. seem to be leading the charge into delusional thinking, and uh, it is uh, we are in quite a play on words quite a state here. <laughs> quite a state, yeah. Well, you know, from the state of Ronald Reagan, who uh, uh, seemed to be one of the best presidents in America, one of the best governors that California ever had, you now have one of the worst governors that California ever had, Gavin Newsom, and uh, one wonders if he is not a, a significant sign of the times. Well, it's interesting. It, looking in uh, Isaiah early in the chapters, uh, early in the book, chapter 2 through 5, you know, of course, we come to uh, chapter 5, verse 20, in that same passage, woe to those who call good evil and evil good, uh-huh. and exchange darkness and light. Uh, way back in chapter 2, the Lord starts talking about 
the time when he rises to shake the earth. And one of the interesting things that he says there is that he will give them children for princes. And, you know, of course, we know Isaiah was a, a, a Jewish prophet and uh, wrote to and about Israel. Right. Uh, things that, you know, he's he's not just going to shake Israel, he's going to shake the earth. And, well, that's true. And one of the things, one of the things he said was uh, that he'll give them children for princes. And you know, it, it's well, he says more than that. He said women you know, and children yeah, will rule over them. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and uh, you know, looking at you know the figurative language there, I don't know that we could press that into literal children. But I've always looked at that as uh, those who are incompetent and unqualified and. I think we got a guy uh, sitting up in Sacramento that would certainly fit the bill. Uh, he may have the qualifications of the modern-day politician, but uh, as far as leadership goes, he's he's taking us in a very terrible direction. Well, you and I know, and you open your book in the introduction uh, by saying there may be much room for debate concerning certain specifics regarding the subject of eschatology or the doctrine of end times. The question of whether we're in the last days, though, is not among them. And I think that's because the prophet or the the apostle Peter stood up 2,000 years ago and declared that the last days were then beginning at that moment. Well, we have the same thing in Hebrews, Hebrews 1.1. God in these last days, having spoken to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us in a son. So no question that we are in the last days. As far as where we are in terms of the end of those last days, I think that's a matter uh, that some would debate. But it seems to me that we're we're close. We're close to the, the next transition uh, in Bible prophecy, which would you know, be the onset of the tribulation. So when when Jesus, uh, the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, tells us, behold, I come quickly, uh, quickly uh, may not seem quickly to us, but here's how I look at it, Barry, to put things in perspective. If, uh, if Jesus was crucified and rose again somewhere around 30 A.D., 2930 A.D. If you look at 2,000 years from that date, you'd be put yourself right against the year 2030, which is the year of the so-called Great Reset, the installation of a new world government, and also the United Nations Agenda 2030 culmination. Fascinating information, isn't it? Well, it really is. And, you know, looking at you know, some of the language there in Revelation, you know, Jesus is talking about, you know, the things that will shortly take place and coming quickly and that type of verbiage. You know, he, he's speaking about the suddenness. You know, he's going to come and appear uh, in the air and meet the church. And then the other things we know uh, regarding uh, the tribulation period and the, the birth pang-like progression that he introduced there in Matthew 24, right. 3 through 8, through that phrase, beginning of sorrows. Uh, you know, he these things that are going to happen will happen 
in quick succession, and that's what Revelation 1-1 is talking about. Well, so I think there's start, there's truth to that, but there's also truth to the idea that a day with the Lord is, is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day, therefore it will only have been two days since Jesus' resurrection and crucifixion when 2030 rolls around. Two days. And that's not long. That's pretty quickly, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> It depends on your viewpoint, and we say here regularly on this program, viewpoint determines destiny, and indeed it does. Barry, it's so good to have you on the program here today on Viewpoint, and you're coming from Southern California. You're a pastor there in California, right? Correct. All right. We'll talk more about that when we get back from this break. Friends, the book, The Time of the Signs, it's a $16, $17 book. Yeah, $17 book years for $15 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org, you can call us at 1-800-SAVE-USA or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismar, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Well, I began school teaching in 1967, right there in the middle of the Vietnam War in Southern California. Divorce, the whole concept of divorce in America was relatively insignificant. It just wasn't happening, especially in the church, was not happening. But two years after I began teaching in Southern California in 1967, a law was passed and signed by the governor, Ronald Reagan. It introduced the concept of no-fault divorce. From that time on, divorce began to rage. And it picked up popularity not only in the culture as a whole, but throughout the church. It spread like wildfire. It spread through wildfire through the 1970s, through the God is Love movement that made its way through the church. And then, as if that were not enough, the church growth movement was taking place at the same time coming out of Pasadena, California. All of that catapulted divorce into prominence, not only in America, but in the church. But that was not the end of the story. Because obviously, if you're going to divorce, then by implication, God must certainly not want you happy. He would prefer to have you happy than holy. And so began, people began to, began to disregard what Jesus had said about adultery. That whoever marries the one divorce commits adultery. That whoever divorces their spouse commits adultery. And so the whole world, the whole nation began to embrace adultery. Serial adultery. And because it became so popular in the nation, it became extremely popular in the church house. So that by 
20 years ago. The divorce rate in the Bible Belt of America had exceeded the nation as a whole by 50%. Now, I want to ask you a question as we talk about the times of the signs. Is that progression not a major revelation of the birth pangs and the rejection of truth and the embracing of the authority of culture over Christ in America and in the church. Barry, you probably never had an interview like that, but uh, what do you think, Mr. Pastor? Well, I think uh, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that a time was coming when men would not endure, and that word can be translated put up with, sound doctrine. Mm -hmm. And that would include the sound doctrines of Jesus' teaching on Absolutely. And sexual activity. And, you know, Paul goes on to say that instead of uh, the sound doctrines, apostolic doctrines, the teachings of Christ, the preference will be fables. And those are, uh, that word can be translated as fabrications, things that people make up. Mm. And they will heap up for themselves teachers and be turned aside from the truth of fables. And that's that's part of what we're experiencing here now. Well, exactly. And, uh, you pair that with Chapter 3, Perilous Times, you know, the lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And uh, there's no question that this is uh, evidence that it's late in the hour as far as the last day is concerned. Well, see, it wasn't just Gavin Newsom that was introducing all that to California. It happened all the way back in 1968 and metastasized through the church growth movement that began in past in California in the 1970s, and then the seeker-sensitive movement that began in Southern California in the 1990s. So all of this has helped to expand and drive the contrariness of America's mind and heart in the church house against the very precepts of the Holy Spirit. Well, I think it fits right in with what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount, that, you know, when the Church uh, loses its savor, its uh, purifying and preserving influence, it's going to be trampled underfoot by men. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing now, that, you know, it's more uh, concerning to the Church, to, to many churches, I should say, that, that we are in line or in step with culture uh, rather than in step with the Word. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're seeing that defection from truth. Um, and, you know, again, we're seeing people, as you mentioned, you know, the statistics are grievous uh, <laughs> to see the divorce rate in the church that we're seeing in the world. And, uh, you and know, among it, pastors. It all boils down. Yeah, that too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it all boils down to the absence of the teaching of sound doctrine. Well, Jesus had a little tete-a-tete with his disciples there on the Mount of Olives a couple of days before his crucifixion. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And uh, they asked him privately what would be the sign of his coming into the end of the age. And, of course, from that you get the title of your book, The Time of the Signs that he was talking about. And, uh, of course, he talks about the wars and the rumors of wars and pestilences and famines and earthquakes in many places and so on. And, of course, you in California can certainly relate to that. Uh, but he also begins by talking about deception. 
In fact, that's the major focus in Matthew chapter 24. Warnings by Jesus against deception. And he wasn't warning the unbelievers. He was warning his disciples and those that would follow him, wasn't he? Well, that's why I think it's important to remember that Christ means anointed. And I think the the verbiage there, we could look at it as, you know, Jesus is saying primarily and first and foremost, as he gives the list that you just ran through of other things that are the beginning of sorrows. He talks about false Christ, many coming in my name. Exactly. And I've looked at that as people claiming an anointing in Christ uh, and doing the things that Matthew 7 uh, you know, talks about in verses 21 and 22, about many coming in his name and, you know, saying, hey, we did a lot of churchy-looking stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we, we cast out demons and did miracles and, and these other things that... Yeah, and you know, we even grew mega church. We even today. grew mega churches to 20,000, 30,000. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's, yeah. let's be real about it. Uh, that has been part of our problem. And uh, how did we do that? We did it by diluting the truth to please the masses, didn't we? Well, I think that, you know, the thing that Paul was talking about again, you know, heaping up teachers. And one of the things that I always find curious, there was a, uh, there's a church out here in California uh, that's part of the whole New Apostolic Reformation thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a guy that, uh, he was filling in for the for the lead pastor, and I, I saw this with my own eyes and about fell out of my own my chair when I heard what he said. He said that you know he he was in the sanctuary and he was weeping and somebody had done so and that's the, that's the kind of language he's using. Another pastor had said something mean to him, and uh, he said Jesus appeared to him and hugged him and said, "Please forgive me." Jesus said to this guy, Jesus asked this guy for this guy's forgiveness. And and the thing that, you know, besides the, the ridiculousness of the statement, the hereticalness of the statement, what shocked me more than anything else is that there wasn't a stampede for the door. And, and that's a, a lot of what's going on today. When error is taught, it's embraced, and, you know, people are relying on someone to, you know, they're failing to do the job of the Berean and find out if what the pastor's teaching is so by their own careful study. Well, did that church happen to be in Pasadena, California? No, no, a little further north. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, uh, the the only reason I ask is because uh, one of the premier leaders of the apostolic movement came out of the church that was directly across from my law office in Pasadena, California. Mm. Yeah, so I, I'm very familiar with the innards of almost all of these developments. They've been right there in the yeah. heart of it. Well, look, uh, Barry, uh, you and I have some differences of viewpoint concerning several things. One of those has to do with the rapture. Uh, you and I both agree that there is a rapture, which means that uh, God has promised to uh, that that those who truly are following Him, His true followers. Uh, will not have to endure his wrath, right? Correct. We agree with that. Okay. What we don't agree with is the timing of when that rapture takes place. 
Your viewpoint is what is called the pre-trib rapture viewpoint, which, by the way, I grew up with. Uh, in fact, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with, uh, uh, oh, I'm, for some reason, I'm having a senior moment at the, more, uh, at the moment. Um, Jack Van Impey. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Well, Jack Van Impey began his ministry in my father's church in Watsonville, California, Mm. in the the mid-50s. He was a strong pre-trib rapture guy. And so that's what I grew up with. And uh, it was only about 20 years ago that I, in doing some real study of the Scriptures, I came to the viewpoint that I could not find any direct, clear support for that doctrine although it was extremely popular across the country and gained its prominence through Charles Schofield and his Schofield reference pile in the early 1900s. So you you uh, cling to that doctrine, and I have adopted a position uh, that also avoids Christians uh, receiving the wrath of God. Uh, and so I would call that beyond a mid-trib rapture to something between the mid-trib and the outpouring of God's wrath just before the the huge manifestation of the great tribulation. Which brings us a whole different issue, and that is uh, the whole idea of what is the tribulation. And my understanding is that your viewpoint is that it begins at the beginning of the what is called the 70th week of Daniel, that hyphenated period of 400 out of 490 weeks. And uh, my view is that there is no position called the tribulation, nothing particularly called that, but there is, by Jesus, called the great tribulation. And uh, would you agree with that? Yes. Okay. So, you see, we're in agreement. So <laughs> I, I wanted to bring this up because, you know, people think you have to be at war with one, one another. And you, you make a, a, a statement in your book that we can be at, uh, I wouldn't say at odds with one another, but we can hold to uh, different views about these things. But those different views don't jeopardize our salvation, do they? Not at all. We're not saved by our eschatology. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. And, <laughs> you know, I think that that's one of the most important things for all of us. Yeah. Uh, to to keep in mind when we discuss issues like this. You know, I, uh, Chuck, I have been condemned to hell more times than I can even count because I I hold to the pre-trib rapture position. Well, I've been and, condemned to know, hell by those who hold to the pre-trib rapture con- uh, <laughs> Conviction, as if as if somehow I am one of those that has perverted the doctrine of truth and is on the way down the slippery slope to the uh, perdition. Now, and you know, I think one of the things that you know anyone who is looking at uh, trying to interpret Bible prophecy, we we all need to remember that the surest form of interpretation is fulfillment, and so. You know, one of these days we're going to know. Oh, you want to you want to say that again, please, brother. <laughs> the the surest form of prophetic interpretation is fulfillment. There you go. 
In other words, it's not what I think is true. It's what actually is true from God's viewpoint. Amen. (laughs) And that's the reason why I think that the thrust of all of our conversation concerning eschatology, the doctrine of end times, and so on, should be about being prepared and preparing others. What do you think? Well, absolutely. And any time I have the opportunity to to speak in different conferences, uh, that is always the thrust and the, the, the takeaway at the end of the message and throughout the message is that, you know, my my position regarding the tr- pre-tribulation rapture, and if somebody else holds that position and, and the twinkling of an eye experience could be today or tomorrow or the next day, our takeaway from any conference about the last days should be a desperation for lost and perishing souls around us. And Not for that. our living a righteous and holy life in repentance no one will see the Lord. exactly we'll be right back friends this is viewpoint there is so much more about chuck chris meyer and save america ministries on our website saveus.org for example under the marriage section god has marriage on his mind chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage first off a fact sheet on the state of the marital union a fact sheet on the state of ministry marriage and morals saveus.org marriage divorce and remarriage what does the bible really teach about this find all of this at saveus.org also a letter to pastors the hosea project saveus.org and many more resources to strengthen your marriage it's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. Signs. The Time of the Signs. That's the title of our guest book. Barry Stagner joining us here on Viewpoint from Southern California. So here we are in the south in Richmond, Virginia, the birthplace of the nation, and uh, you're coming to us from Southern California. And uh, so we're just a couple of Southern boys here talking about uh, the end of the age. When we talk about the end times, we know it began uh, there at the, uh, not at the birth, but at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter talked about that. On the day of Pentecost, he said, he quoted the book of Joel, this is that which was spoken of by the Holy Spirit, uh, that in the end times I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So we know when that began. That was 2,000 years ago, almost 2,000 years ago. But we have 2,000 years now that we need to talk about and think about how does this 2,000-year period uh, get divided so that we can better understand where we are in the time of the signs. So uh, give me your best understanding of that, and then uh, perhaps if I differ, I'll share mine, and we'll go from there. Well, I think there's a few things we can look at. We talked about, one, what's happening in the church, uh, the absence of sound doctrine and the uh, unwillingness to endure uh, the, the age-old teachings of the church and the preference of fables. I think, too, watching things that are going to, uh, I believe, ultimately be fulfilled 
during the tribulation beginning to form now tells us that we're late in the game. And the example of that is the Ezekiel Coalition. And mm-hmm. uh, those nations that are named there uh, now, you know, operating together militarily, diplomatically, three of the five having uh, hardware and personnel on the northern border of Israel. Uh, I personally believe that uh, the Ezekiel War uh, has to end during the tribulation because of how it ends. And it ends with, you know, God uh, doing his thing. And as Zechariah talks about fighting as he fights in the day of battle with the flooding rain and an earthquake and things of that nature. And it's not Israel defending itself. It's God defending Israel. So, and, and this is something that is specific to that 70th week of Daniel time period. Mm-hmm. So if we're watching things develop that will be fulfilled during the tribulation, then we have to be very late in the last of the last days. All right. So I would call those the latter so. days. Uh, Ezekiel talks about the latter days. In Ezekiel 38, uh, he speaks of that uh, great Gog and Magog battle in the latter days, when Israel is in relative peace, and uh, there will be a confederation of nations that will secretly uh, attack Israel to take a spoil. And uh, so we know that that comes in a period called the latter days. So first of all, we have the end or the, the last days, and then way down the track that hasn't yet come, we have the latter days. And then there's another period called the day of the Lord. And that's a very short period of time, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah, so I that gives us... see it as the whole 70th week. Okay, okay. And the reason you do... And I'm going to explain that to our listeners. Uh, I believe the reason you see that as the the whole seven, uh, 70th week of Daniel is because you interpret the that seven-year period as the tribulation when there is no specific reference to the tribulation in the Bible at all. Uh, what there is is Jesus' statement in Matthew 24 concerning a great tribulation which I believe is the uh, the last three and a half years or so of that 70th week. So that being the case, it kind of helps to explain why the difference in our viewpoint. And uh, so when you mention tribulation, it, there has to be a, some sort of discussion as to what that really means. I think that the wrath of God is poured out after that... Uh, the manifestation of the Antichrist and all that he stirs up, just like in the French Revolution, came the great terror after the terror that preceded it. And uh, I think that was very much a type of what we can expect with regard to uh, these the end of the age. So you and I are kind of bantering back and forth here about this. The Again, the issue is... Our salvation does not depend upon our viewpoint in that regard, does it? Amen to that. All right. I, you know, for me, I think you know, looking at, uh, you know, the the first sixty nine weeks were literal weeks, uh, seven year periods, and uh, you know, so the seventieth will be a literal seven year period. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't I, disagree I with think, that. I think that uh, personally. 
uh, as you said, you know, the, uh, the rise, uh, the allowance of the Antichrist to rise to power, uh, part of why I hold the, the position that the whole tribulation is the great tribulation is because God's wrath takes on the form of the consequential wrath of God and the cataclysmic wrath of God. And, you know, it's like with the... Well, that, the that, that's, man's, that's man's verbiage. Uh, there is nothing in the Bible that talks about the consequential wrath of God as opposed to the actual wrath of God. And the wrath of well, God is poured out on the children of disobedience. And uh, so, you know, I, I think we can, we can uh, dance back and forth with the words, but as you said earlier, the proof of the pudding will be in the eating, how does it actually turn out? So that means that you and I, in a pastoral role and even a prophetic role, must have the preliminary, the, the primary focus to prepare people for that time. Are we in the birth pangs yet? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I think one of the things that often gets overlooked is, you know, people look at Matthew 24, 3 to 7, and say, well, you know, that's just the normal course of history, which is true. There's always mm-hmm. been wars. There's always been ethnic tensions. There's always been famines. There's always been pestilence. There's there's always been, you know, Jesus, or the word in the, in the Greek is seismos, which isn't limited to earthquakes. It can be a gale or a tempest as well, mm-hmm. and include atmospheric events. There's always been radical storms and radical geological movements. But I think the important thing to remember is that this was an answer to a specific question and the the signs of his coming and the end of the age. Yes. So it it wasn't just, and then he likened them to the beginning of sorrows, which could also be translated as the commencement of birth pangs. So because the answer was to uh, the question specifically, I think that we would expect to see like birth pangs, a progression of increase in those things uh, that would launch us into that latter uh, time that you mentioned. Well, that's exactly what we're seeing, and you're seeing it even there in California. We've talked about that. We're seeing it here in Virginia. Uh, You find it uh, being manifested in the politics of the day. You find it being manifested in how the church is conforming increasingly to the ways of the culture. And uh, pastors become more interested in pleasing the people than in pleasing God. Aren't these things all characteristic of the, what should we say, the time of the signs? Oh, absolutely, as we're watching them. You know, I mean, think about the last three years. Uh, Do I have to? (laughs) (laughs) Well, try not to, but that's right. You know, I mean, the changes are so quick and so radical and so intense. I mean, you know, just just normal thought processes have been abandoned and ridiculous things are now presented as factual. And if you disagree with the new definition of facts, you're some type of lunatic or outcast or anti, uh, you know, cultural or the greater good. And this all just is greasing the skid, so to speak. Uh, for the rise of the man of sin to uh, deceive the whole world. Well, we see the rise of the spirit of the man of sin, don't we? Yeah, we sure do. Yes, we do. And, and we, think, we've even seen some people who have seemingly incarnated that spirit. 
I won't mention any names right now, but <laughs> yeah, we we are. I believe, as I said, we are we are late in the game, and I think you know the title of the book is obviously a play on words, as you mentioned. Of course, but I I think it's a summary of what Jesus' answer was. You know, it's going to be a time of signs, and you know, if you think about you know what happened when he first came, uh, you know, it was it was a compact time frame. Oh, well, there was an intense fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And, and I believe, you know, we're going to see the same type of thing, uh, as we move closer and closer and closer to whenever the removal of the church is. But we're going to see a, a compact time period where there's a, a heavy fulfillment of biblical prophecy, at least precursors to it, and then the ultimate fulfillment during the tribulation. Yeah. Well, uh, the times are upon us, and uh, true followers of Jesus Christ are wincing uh, with ever-increasing pain as the birth pangs are coming across us, aren't they? Yeah, they are. And, you know, one of the things I think that's always interesting to consider is, you know, God, uh, you know, there's uh, people who kind of talk about, you know, if we knew that last person to be saved uh, and then we'd be out of here, we'd be all over them. But you know, God's going to be saving during the tribulation. He's going to be he's going to be saving during the millennium. You know, and you know, God is still moving. Is my point. And you know, with the, I was just uh, did a program a couple weeks ago uh, with an Iranian woman uh, who worked uh, high up in the U.S. government, mm. and uh, she was sharing that you know the things that we're hearing that are happening in Iran are actually factual. Uh, the church is growing like wildfire in Iran. And so and, is the persecution. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And wherever the and church is that, growing, there is growing persecution. And that brings up right. that brings up my next point that I think is so important. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Why do you think that you should be different than your master or your Lord. Let's pick up on that after the break. I think it's critically important. Maybe partly because I'm writing a book called When Persecution Comes. (laughs) We'll be right back after this, friends. The Time of the Signs. $15 will put this $17 book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they loved one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Persecution is rising worldwide. 
If you could sit behind my desk and follow what I am doing in preparing for the book when persecution comes, you would be absolutely shocked. It's happening so rapidly, so vigorously, that it's almost impossible to keep track of it because every single day more reports are coming through of ever-increasing persecution. Now, who's being persecuted, friends? Is it the unbelievers that are being persecuted for righteousness' sake? Are they being persecuted for the name of Christ? No. So who is being persecuted? Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Why do you think you should be different than your Lord? So who is the you that Jesus is talking about? Barry? Well, you know, I think the the one thing that often escapes the thinking of many is that, you know, Jesus was not persecuted for for what he did. He was persecuted for what he said. And I think that's that's a lot of why, you know, we're seeing some of the things we're seeing here in our country is that the church, uh, in many cases, doesn't want to say the tough stuff. And it's the tough stuff that, you know, brings about the, the animosity from the world when we are teaching things that are clearly countercultural, even anti-cultural. Mm. In other words, if you teach the authority of the Word of God the way Jesus presented it, the way the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John presented it, then that's where you get in trouble. That's why they got in trouble, and every one of the apostles suffered death except for John because they spoke the truth and didn't play games with it with the culture. Absolutely. Okay, so who is the you, though? Exactly. So who is the you that Jesus was talking about? The, uh, the, the you is us. Exactly. So let me ask you a question. If the you is us, and he's talking about you, me, true followers of Christ being persecuted for his namesake, who's doing the persecution? Is it well, God? No, God. No, no. it's not God. No. It's no, the wrath it of man, is. isn't it? Oh, absolutely, yes. That's precisely that. my point, and that's why one of the reasons I'm convinced that the wrath of God does not begin to be poured out until the second half of the so-called tribulation period. Just, just making a, a note there. The Apostle Paul said that, in fact, all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Is that a threat or a promise? That's a, a threatful promise. Or is it both? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. the, the point is, if in this time, if we're really at in the time of the signs, we have to believe that if you're truly living godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to suffer persecution at some level. And it will be for the same reason. Exactly. It, it will be for, for the things that we have said. It will be for calling homosexuality a sin, uh, calling transsexualism mental illness. It'll be things along those lines that are factual, uh, that are countercultural, that 
you know, I mean, you look in the face of the pro-choice crowd. Mm. I mean, many times there's hate on their faces. There's the, even as we saw things that I don't think that we could have ever imagined that happened during the pandemic. I mean, think about it. We had people calling for the withholding of medical care for people who didn't take a vaccine. That's next level hatred. Uh, and, you know, I think we're seeing that. Uh, well, we also had evangelical here, pastors the telling their congregations if they don't take the jab, they don't love Jesus. Well, there's, there's, I have one word for that. It uh, <laughs> starts with Stu and ends with Pitt. And uh, that's, that's about the only way I know how to. <laughs> Okay, and that's coming from a Californiaite. That's really profound, I'll tell you. <laughs> so that, this is where we make it, I think. So, yeah. Uh, sadly. Okay. The world is, I'm reading from your book, the world is readying itself for the ministry of the false prophet and his global religious system. The, who is the false prophet, and how does he relate to, He's he's called, a second beast. So there's a beast that comes forth and then a second beast called the false prophet. Can you clarify that at all for people? Well, sure. We have a, a, a man who rides onto the world scene in Revelation 6-2 and deceives the world with diplomacy and, uh, you know, kind of without a shot fired, he has the whole world following after him. And then you've got, you know, the man who comes alongside him who is satisfying the world's hunger for some type of religious activity mm-hmm. because man loves religion and, uh, you know, which in the, in the human mind uh, translates into worthiness uh, of receiving heavenly rewards or even access to heaven works type thing. Mm-hmm. So you've got this, this guy that comes along and he's pointing to and calling for the worship, which means to prostrate and submit to the first beast, and an image is created as uh, life breathed into it, according to Revelation 13. And interestingly, we're told that these two are empowered by the dragon. And uh, there's a line... Which is a euphemistic reference to Satan. Absolutely. And so, you know, really what we're headed for uh, is a world of Satan worshipers, and this guy is going to lead... Uh, the charge spiritually in that direction, pointing to uh, this this first beast who comes along, brings the pseudo-peace to the world, uh, solves the Middle East crisis, allows the Jews to rebuild their temple, and all these other things. And, you know, the, the his uh, number two man is going to be pointing to him as he leads the ecclesiastical movement on the earth and creating this religious system that is uh, absent of God. And that will bring about what is euphemistically referred to as the mark of the beast, uh, that no man might buy or sell, save he that has the mark either on his forehead or on his hand. Now, what's interesting, and I, I would doubt that you were not aware of this, and that is a couple of years ago, Bill Gates, on behalf of Microsoft, filed a patent with the United States Patent Office that actually incorporates two things. All of your medical records, all of your health issues, and all of your financial issues, all to be governed by digital information. 
In other words, there would be no cash anymore. It's all digital, which means you don't even own anything. You don't own the money because it's all digital. The government will control it all through that particular device that Bill Gates has already filed the patent for. It seems to me that's telling us that the time of the signs is right now. What say you? Oh, absolutely. You know, the, the tech aspects are already in place. You know, uh, monitoring, buying, and selling. You know, I mean, we've got no need. You know, I think many people used to teach that, you know, there had to be a digital currency. Where now you can go and swipe your card anywhere on the planet. And, uh, you know, the exchange rate we calculated, and you'll pull out, you know, that particular currency of the country you're in. So, you know, the, the technology is already there. Uh, the mentality, I think, is what's being uh, sown right now uh, into the, you know, the minds of the world that the greater good is what we have to pursue. Isn't that what was presented through the COVID situation? Oh, absolutely. It set the stage and, uh, for it, didn't it? It did. It did. And just, you know, thinking about what's going to happen during the tribulation period, because those who refuse the mark are going to be executed and those who have wait a minute are they, who are they going to be executed by god uh no no oh they're going to be executed by the wrath of man absolutely they'll be executed by which means they uh, still have to be here in order to be executed that's very true so they haven't been raptured we well they're called earth dwellers I think you're an earth dweller, too. So am I. I've been here all my life. Since the end of World War II, I've been here an earth dweller. Well, <laughs> just just asking some questions here to challenge our thinking. Okay. Now, Jesus in his Olivet Discourse toward the end there in Matthew 24 said that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world, and then shall the end come. Now, we don't often hear people refer to that because it doesn't, it doesn't stir up any kind of sensationalist thinking. But let me share something with you. It was about 10 years ago. My wife and I were on our way back from Disney World in Florida, and we stopped by the Wycliffe uh, Bible Translators uh, headquarters. And here's what they told us. They said that in the last 25 years up to that time, they had accomplished more because of the advance of technology than they ever dreamed in terms of being able to reach every language on earth. They said, we only have a few years remaining to complete the job. That was 10 years ago. Think about it. We've got a few minutes left then, apparently. A few minutes, the time of the signs. Isn't that right? And, you know, emblazoned right there on the Christian broadcasting, uh, there out in Virginia Beach are the words, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to the whole world, and then shall the end come. Wow. I'll tell you, it brings tears to your eyes when you really think about where we really are, doesn't it, Barry? Well, it... You know, I think there's a, an element of comfort, 
uh, in the fact that God has not appointed us to wrath, and then there should be, as I said earlier, uh, 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 a crisis in our hearts for the lost and perishing around us. And for our own standing before God. Well, Because without holiness, no man will see the Lord. That's right. You see, we don't preach that anymore. No, that's true. That's what I was just saying. Yeah. You don't hear these kind of things anymore, and thus we have the church that we have today. So people get ready. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Soon we'll be coming home. What people need to get ready? Well, Jesus said in John 3 that that the pagans are condemned already. We should be reaching them. We should. But we don't do that by inviting them to our churches. You made an astounding statement in your book. That's not how we evangelize. We're supposed to go out. But when the people gather in our congregations, they're supposed to be prepared and strengthened and warned and wooed and prepared to walk a righteous and holy life. We got it all upside down, I think, Barry. Yeah, we do. You know, you started with the words of a hymn, and, uh, you know, I think I was raised uh, in a hymn-singing church. Good for you. And uh, it just reminded me about some of the things that have been abandoned. And one of the phrases I like that, you know, it's a bit old school, but it, it was it was common in some of the old preachers, and that is, are you ready to meet your maker? Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we don't hear phrases like that that are, that are thunderous uh, in their meaning. And, uh, you know, really, I think that's the question of the ages. Are you ready? Absolutely. You ready that is the question of the hour, and that's what we should be focusing on. All of the other stuff is just information. What God is after is transformation. Don't you think so, Barry? Oh, absolutely. He's after souls. But, brother, I thank you so much for coming on the program, putting up with me here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I love a good chat. All right. Well, we can finish it up after the program if you have time. Friends, the book, The Time of the Signs. $15 $15 is going to put it on your, in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org, saveus.org. Call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us. You're writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And become a partner, friends. We're trying to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. Join us today. Do it today. Don't delay. God bless and be a blessing. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.